Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. Glad that all of you are here in the room. It's good to see all of you. You braved the snow and the cold and everything else, and we made it. Uh, let me just tell you that it is uh, nearly close to a miracle that we have a stage to stand on because to dig the truck and trailer out yesterday was interesting. I'll just tell you that. Uh, it was stuck for quite a while. Nick, I got a call from Nick. He's like, I could use some help with the truck and trailer. Sounds good. We'll be over. I brought Jackson, my teenager, uh, because extra muscle's good. But we are here to worship God. Those of you online, everybody in the room, thank you for joining us. Thank you for doing this and, and worshiping together with the body of Christ. Okay. So Henry Ford, the guy who started the Ford Motor Company, once said this. He said, if I were to ask people back then when I started the company what they wanted, they would have said, I want a faster horse. Henry Ford understood that maybe what people don't need is a faster horse. They need a completely different form of transportation that's going to be completely different than a horse. And so the Henry, Henry Ford and the Henry Ford Company, they created, of course, the availability of what we now call a car. Woohoo! How many of you are thankful for your car to get here this morning? How many of you are thankful that it started this morning? Okay? And he created the car, and it changed the way we travel, it changed the way we do life. And we know this changed everything, because when was the last time you grabbed your horse to go get groceries at the grocery store? When was the last time you hitched up your horses to the wagon to go to the lacrosse tournament on the weekend? Right? No, you haven't done that. Why? Because that's not normal. It used to be normal, but it's no longer normal now. Things change, and they, th and they change because Henry Ford took a huge risk to create something brand new that nobody had ever thought of before. Pretty powerful stuff. Let me give you another example. How many of you, before you would go on a trip and travel, this is probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, how many of you remember printing out something like this? Everybody remember MapQuest? Did you know? I kid you not. I had to Google it. It still exists. Did you guys know that? I've never even thought about MapQuest. I'm sorry, whoever created it. But I never even thought about it. I Googled it just to see if I could find a picture of it. And sure enough, it came up. It still exists. It's still a thing. You can print stuff out on MapQuest. Now, how many of you have done that in the last couple of weeks? All right, we've got a couple people here. That's awesome. I didn't even know that MapQuest existed. Here's what I do. I get in my car. I don't even think of where we're going. I just hop in and I put my phone up there and I tell Siri where I need to go. And she takes me there. It's beautiful. Why? Because things have changed. How did they change? Because somebody took a risk to create a computer that we stick in our pocket that we carry everywhere now. And it has navigation. Things change, but it changes because people take a risk to do something different, to do something different to make it better. And it moves forward. So what if I were to ask you this question here this morning? What do you want? How many of you would say warmer weather? <laughs> okay, there's a few of us in here, I'm guessing. How many of you would say a new snowblower? <laughs> a better snowblower? Yeah, some of you, okay. Some of, some of you maybe found out, my snowblower's not cutting it uh, for the snow, okay? I saw a few neighbors that that was the case. They were like, mm -hmm, you know, and they'd shut down. They'd have started again. Maybe you want more hair. Maybe you want, okay, maybe that's just me. 
Whatever you want. What do you want? Now, that's surfacey level stuff. I get that. But I want to ask you the question, and I don't want you to answer with those kind of things. I don't think that we're talking about material things. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. What I want you to answer in your own head, you don't have to say this out loud, what do you want on a deep core level for your life? What do you want? Strength? Courage? Hope? Love, acceptance, faith, peace, true unity, joy in your family. What do you want on a deep core level? You got it? You know, you know what you're thinking about? Now what if I were to tell you that one of the key barriers to you experiencing that is fear. Fear. What if I told you that fear is the biggest thing that is holding us back from finding, from achieving, from experiencing those deep core value things that we're longing for? What if I told you fear is the one thing that is killing us? So today we're continuing our series. We started it last week, of course, and it's very simple. Killing what's killing you. We're talking about things that are trying to take us out, and what we need to do is we need to take those things out before they take us out. That's what this whole series is all about. And so last week we talked about a pretty intense topic, rest. But I'll be honest, it was by far the safest and easiest of the four topics that we're going to hit next. Today we're going to talk about fear because the truth is, whether we realize it or not, we tend to be ruled by fear. So we're going to dig into this. Fear is something we need to take out before it takes us out. Now, before I dig into all the practical stuff, let's talk about how does God view fear? Now, I don't know if you were paying attention. Did you pay attention to that, to that video? What was the phrase that kept coming up in the middle? Fear not. Do, in other words, if we were to put it in our modern day language, do not fear. God does not want you to live in fear. So how does God view fear? Well, let me, let me give you an example from Scripture. Now, I'm going to bring up a story that you know a little bit about because we spent some serious time on this during the Yes campaign this last year. Okay? So if you were here during, at our church during the Yes campaign, you're gonna, you already know this story. But I want to bring it up, just a snippet of it again. So the context is Moses has been leading the Israelites. He just led them out of Egypt. But he has now died. And so a new leader is needed. A new leader is needed. And so God begins to have a conversation with this guy named Joshua. And I want to read for you how the conversation starts. Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Okay, so just understand that Moses has been the leader and he's been leading, but now he's gone. And so now Joshua needs to step into the role of leading the entire nation of Israel. 
and they're stuck in the wilderness, and now they have to cross the Jordan River, which at this point is flooded, and on the other side is a whole bunch of people that do not want them to live in that land. They want nothing to do with that land, okay? And so Joshua has to lead the charge. He has to convince all these people that we're going to cross the flooded Jordan River. He has to convince them that we're going to go over there. We're going to take this land. And all these people, they want, do not want us there. But Joshua has to lead them into this that nobody probably feels comfortable doing. Talk about fear. And so God then starts making some promises to Joshua. He says, Joshua, I'm going to make you successful. Everywhere your feet touch land, that land is going to be yours. Everywhere you touch, that land is going to be yours. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you or the nation of Israel. This is going to be good stuff. And so he's, God's kind of given him these promises. And then God finishes by saying this statement. Some of you have this on your wall. Laura and I have this on our wall. In a really pretty frame, by the way. In really pretty font. It can't be just typed up. It's in a beautiful frame. And this is what God says to Joshua, Joshua 1.9. And I want you to, as I read this, I want you to understand that God is not just saying this to Joshua. He's saying this to you. Listen to these words. God says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you no matter what happens, wherever you go. Now I want you to notice, did you notice that it does not say this is a suggestion. This is a suggestion for your life. Notice it doesn't say that. God doesn't say to Joshua, so Joshua, this is my hope for you. This is what I'm hoping is going to happen. No, he says, this is a command. This is not a choice. This is something that I'm calling you to. This is something I'm giving you, but you have to believe it. You have to live it. You have to follow it. You have to run after it. You're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous. You're not going to be afraid and you're not going to get discouraged. You are going to go after this and I'm giving you promises. I'm going to be with you. This is a command. It's not maybe on, some, on the good days you're going to be strong and courageous. On the bad days, it's okay. That's not what God is saying. He's saying be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now here's the problem. What have studies shown us? What have experiments shown us? What has just life shown us? It is that fear is more powerful than the promise of success. Isn't it? How many of us, I know I've done this, I've, I've had this problem, how many of us know there's a promise of something? If I take a risk, if I do this, if I try this, that it's going to be amazing. I remember uh, when our kids were younger, uh, we would go to water parks, and I don't know if you ever experienced this with your kids. Some of you, you have kids that are like, Wah! they jump out of airplanes, and they're like, oh, I should have grabbed a parachute, you know. They're fine. Like, they just risk it all. They just li live that way. My kids, typically not that way. So we'd go to water parks, and then there'd be these slides, you know, that go into this water. Scary water. 
you know? And we'd have to, we'd be like, no, you're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. You go fast and you kind of do this. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. And, and so eventually, you know what we do? This is, this is really just, if you're taking notes on parenting, this is really good parenting. We just shove them down the slide. You think I'm joking? I'm telling this for funny effect? No, we did that. You can ask any three of my children. We did that with all three of them. There you go. And then they're like, ah! you know, and they're crying on the way down. And then they come up and then, and then they, we get them up there again. And we say, now try it again. You're going to be, remember, you survived. <laughs> You'll be fine. And then they try it on their own. And then you know what we do? We spend the next two hours on that slide because they love it. Fear is powerful, but we have to get past it. We have to try new things. We have to do things differently if we want different reality in our life. If you want something different, you have to do something different. If you want something different, you have to be something different. You can't do the same thing and expect different. We have to get past our fear. Try new things. Let me give you a really soft, easy example. Uh, so when I was first in ministry, uh, I was at a large church. I was a staff pastor at a large church in North Dakota. And I got to preach at this church because it was just a staff pastor. I wasn't the lead pastor. I got to preach once or maybe twice a year. That's, that's how much I got to preach. And the first time I was getting ready to preach, it was a few weeks out, uh, my lead pastor, the lead pastor, he came to me and he said, Brenda, I want you to try something new when you prepare for your sermon that you're going to preach in a few weeks. He said, I want you to manuscript your sermon. Now, manuscript means I'm going to type it out word for word, everything I'm going to say. Word for word, I'm going to type the whole thing and, and deliver it that way, okay? Here's the problem. I had never prepared any speaking or any public thing that way ever. I'd never done that. I'd done note cards. How many of you do note cards? Okay. I have done note cards. I've done like a, an outline of my main thoughts with a couple of bullet points and some maybe some written in things. But I've never typed up every word I think I'm going to say. I've never manuscripted anything. But he said, I, Brent, I want you to try this. Okay. Can I just tell you the truth? I had some fears about that. Now, I didn't fear typing. Typing's not a big thing. Who cares? But you know what I did fear? Here's my fear. My fear is that I was going to try this, but it wasn't going to work. I knew I could speak in front of people. I had done it a little bit. I'd, I'd been a public school teacher. And, and so it wasn't that I was confident, but I, I definitely wasn't scared of it. But I had my method. You know what I mean? When somebody messes, does it, if anybody moves the remote, does it drive you crazy? Don't mess with how I do things. Somebody messed with my process for speaking. And, and so I was, I was fearing, like this is, I was scared that this wasn't going to work. I was scared that I was going to do all this work and it was going to be worse. I was scared that when I got up there with my manuscript that I would come across like a robot because I had every single word that I wanted to say in front of me and I felt like I might lean on it and read it. I was scared of all those things. But I did it. I manuscripted the sermon, delivered the sermon. I think it went okay. But I'm glad that Pastor Steve pushed me to do that because you know what I'm doing 15 years, more than 15 years later, I'm still manuscripting my sermon. 
Now, you guys know I don't really pay attention much to it. You're like, you should probably look at it sometime then, Brent. <laughs> yeah, they're there. <laughs> but the truth is, I did not know what I was missing until I got past the fear of trying something different in order to try to experience something different and do something better. And honestly, it helped me to grow. Now, I've continued to change the process of how I prepare for sermons and speaking and all that stuff. I continue to hone in on that, change that over the last several years. But I always end with a manuscript. Once I start writing, it takes me about two hours because all the work's done. And it works for me. But I would not have known that if I wouldn't have gotten over the way that I always did it. The things I always do, the mode I'm always in. So let me ask you this question. What if everything that God wants for you and wants to give to you is on the other side of your fear. Just consider that for a minute. What if everything God has for you, everything he wants for you in your life is on the other side of some deep-seated fear in you? The truth is, this seems to be a theme in Scripture, isn't it? Think about Moses. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You're going to free the Israelites, okay? What does Moses do? Now, we're going to spend some time talking about Moses next week. If you think really hard, you're going to probably figure out what next week's topic is. Okay, but we're going to talk about Moses next week. Now Moses, when God came to Moses and said, I want you to go back to Egypt. You're going to free the Israelites. Moses is, is immediately scared of everything. If you read Moses' story, it's an amazing transformation. Moses was scared of everything. He was scared of God. He was scared of, by the way, we're supposed to fear the Lord. I know some of you are like, well, you're supposed to fear the Lord. That's true. That's the, we're not talking about the good fear today. Okay, we're talking about the one that takes you away from things. Okay, there's the fear of the Lord. But, but Moses was truly not in a healthy way, scared of God. He was scared of what the people would think when they got to Egypt. He was scared that the people were going to ask him whose God, God's name was. And he's like, I don't know what to call you, God. What should I call you? He was, he was, Moses was scared of everything. But he finally goes to Egypt. And he confronts Pharaoh. And he confronts Pharaoh again and again. And again, and again, and again. And you know what happens at the end of the story by the time Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt? You know what happens? Moses is almost running at Pharaoh. He's almost running at him. He's like, listen, God is on my side. It's clear now. It's obvious. You better do what he says because <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> I mean, Moses is just confident. Where before he was ruled by fear. What if everything God has for you is on the other side of your fear? David had to face Goliath. Talk about fear. Now, in the text, it does not say that he was scared, that he was afraid. But we know, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking up to a close to a nine-foot guy with massive weapons and all that stuff, there, there's going to be a little bit of fear there. But it says he went after me, says, nope. God is on my side. I got this. Mary had to let Joseph know, hey, we're going to raise the Messiah. 
She had to convince people of that. Do you think that she was probably scared about that conversation? Have you ever gone into a conversation that you were scared about? You were worried about how it was gonna go? That fear? How many of you, how many of you know there's a conversation that you have needed to have for years, but you haven't because you're scared? You're worried about how it'll go. See, fear is powerful. What about Peter? He gave up his whole life and fishing career to follow Jesus. Fear. Think about Noah. Remember Noah? You know Noah. He's the one that built that big ark. Hey, think about Noah. Noah was asked to build the biggest ship that's ever been known in the world at that time in a dry, arid climate, and it's not raining. Okay, just, just imagine that. Okay? Just, just imagine, this would be like God coming to you and saying, I need you to plant 10,000 palm trees in Wisconsin because it's going to be amazing. And you go, uh, they're going to die. No, trust me, I got this. Noah, do you think Noah ever woke up? And by the way, we know that it took him years to build the ark. Some people estimate 75 years to build it. Remember, they don't have any modern equipment. It would have taken a long time. Do you think Noah ever woke up one morning, hit the snooze button a couple times, you know, and got up and thought, what am I doing with my life? I am building a huge ship, and it's a dry, arid climate. There's no, I, there's hardly any water here. Do you think he ever wondered, I'm banking my entire life on this? Do you think he had fear when people made fun of him? Hey, Noah, how's the boat coming? Do you think he got those comments? <laughs> hey, you need some more gopher wood or whatever you're doing? <laughs> it's looking great, Noah. It's going to be amazing when we have the... 14th drought that we've had fear fear the truth is what if God has the best things for you on the other side of that fear what if the fear of people what they think about you what if the things that you know you're supposed to do everything that is there is on the other side of that fear the truth is, I think God calls us to be different. To be different than everybody else. Different. To stand out. And I don't know about you, but that's hard. Isn't it? It is not easy when everybody's going this direction to say, I think God wants me to go this way. When everybody's doing this thing, everybody's doing it. And God says, I want you to be different. When, when people are throwing that person under the bus, the person that we always gossip about, we always throw that person under the bus. We always make fun of them because they're weird. And you feel like you have to laugh because everybody else is laughing. That's fear. What if a different way of life is doing things differently and getting across and through and facing that fear? Let me give you an example of this. Uh, so when Jesus was preaching, I mentioned the sermon last week, but this is at the end of that same sermon. So Jesus was talking about 
our direction in life as human beings and how we need to get there. And you've heard this phrase before, this, this scripture before, but let me just read what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the path or the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, a lot of people look at this verse, look at this, what Jesus said, and they think that it's a VIP thing. It's a side door. Only people with certain passes can get there, and that's what Jesus is talking about. A lot of people think that Jesus is saying this is an exclusive door, and it's an exclusive gate. It's a narrow thing. Only people with the right passes can get there. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, There's an easy way to life, and there's a harder way of life. There's the way that everybody else is going, wide, broad, huge road or path. And then there's a narrow way. This is the hard one. This is where less people are going. That's what Jesus is talking about. And can I just be honest? Let's let's talk about this for a minute. Why is there a broad path and a narrow path? Why do more people go this way and only a few people go this way? And this way, by the way, is Jesus. I wonder, this is not true for everybody, but I wonder if for a lot of us, a lot of people follow the broad path, the wide path, simply because that's where everybody's going. What if... What if people are following the wide path simply because it would be awkward and uncomfortable and weird and strange and put a target on your back if you went over here and took the narrow path? What if it's fear that's keeping us from Jesus? See, fear tells us that risking it all is not worth it. Right? Fear tells us that it's not worth it. Faith tells us that if we don't risk it, destruction is the result. But fear tells us it's not worth it. Um, I heard this quote from, uh, from this book. I've actually never read this book, but I love the quote. So maybe the book is good. I don't know. I'll have to check it out. But I heard this quote, and it's a very, very powerful quote. It's a very important quote when it comes to this. In fact, this quote is talking about how fear tells us that change is not worth it. Listen to this quote. It's from The Flight of the Buffalo. Anybody read Flight of the Buffalo? Okay, it's an intriguing title, isn't it? Flight of the Buffalo. Okay, here's the quote. Change is hard because people overestimate the value of what they have and underestimate the value of what they may gain by giving that up. That's one of those quotes that I feel like you need to hear it a few times. In other words, sometimes we don't want to take a risk for something better because we think, here, this is what fear says, because fear says if we do that, we may lose what we have now and this won't be better. The grass may not be greener on that side and the grass is fine here and so I'm going to lay in this grass because this grass I know. That make sense? Fear keeps us doing the same things over and over and over again. 
If I had never tried the manuscript, I'd be up here maybe with note cards. How cool would that be? I'm not going to end the way that I have written on my manuscript today. God prompted me to, to tell you this story. I've already told this story, but I think we need to hear it one more time. So, uh, when I was in high school, uh, we were walking out of a McDonald's and a group of guys that didn't like us stepped in front of the doorway. You know that airlock section between the two sets of doors in, in a restaurant, you know, to keep the cold out and all that kind of stuff? That's where we were. So we can't get around them. They're not letting us pass. And we're walking out. These were rivals. I, I lived in Eau Claire. I went to Memorial, Okay. And North uh, High School, well, I won't tell you what I think about them, but whatever. Okay, so rivalry, okay? And these people were from that ilk, and, and ironically, I was with a couple of guys from North High School. So understand, I still loved people from there. It was okay. I was hanging out with them, okay? So we met in the airlock in between the doors, okay? And these guys, they stepped in front of us and they clearly wanted to rumble. They wanted to fight. They wanted, I don't know why. This doesn't usually happen. Okay. And if you notice my stature, I'm not intimidating. Okay. I am, I am least intimidating of most people. Okay. I'm just not. But I stood face to face, toe to toe with these guys. I was in the front. I don't know why because I was first through the door. And there's five guys, and I've got two of my buddies behind me. Now, here's why I stood up, and I stood face-to-face -face with him. And I asked them nicely to move. They didn't. And so I knew that this was about to get real. You could feel it. And the reason I had complete confidence that I was going to be fine is because I had a 6'3 and a 6'1 guy behind me, both of them who play football. One of them is the toughest farmhand I've ever known, the other guy literally tried out for the NFL. I kid you not. He didn't make it, but he tried out for it. They let him go into the trials, which means you're really, really good. This guy is a beast, okay? They were on either side of me. And this is what I felt in that moment. I felt a hand on my chest pushing me backwards, and these two guys stepped in front of me and said, Brent, we got this. And, and Luke and Dave looking down at these guys, I kid you not. They were, they were pretty tough, but nothing compared to the guys that I had with me. The point should be clear. I need you to hear this. Some of you are living in fear. Mark Zuckerberg says you can't post the Lord's Prayer on Facebook. What are you going to do? No, I'm serious. What are you going to do? Are you scared of Mark Zuckerberg? The government tells you we can't talk about Jesus. You're going to fear them? Seriously? You know what I feel God is doing? What, what, what we need to hear? We are living in fear and discouragement and we're letting everybody else. And you know why? Because we're letting the culture dictate and say, Jesus isn't real. God's not real. There's no hope. You are a slug. God did not create you. You are not created in the image of God. And so there is no meaning of life. So screw it. Who cares? 
(laughs) And we wonder why we're suffering mentally. It's because we're destroying the only thing that gives us hope in this universe. And I think what God is saying to us, he's doing what my two friends did. He's putting his hand on her chest. He's saying, can you just step back for a minute? And God's going to step in front and say, I got this. You want greater intimacy in your marriage, in your relationships with your kids? Then maybe start by being vulnerable first. Forget your fear. Stop being uncomfortable. And by the way, the only way to be unco- stop being uncomfortable is to get uncomfortable first. Because you guys know the only way to defeat fear in our life is to face it. Right? The only way to defeat fear and discouragement is to face it. Head on. Run after it. Go to it. And I'm just saying, what we tend to think is we tend to feel like we are this, this light in a massive room of darkness, right? That's what we feel like sometimes. And we feel like we've got to just protect the light, protect the light, protect who we are, protect our faith, and just defend ourselves, defend ourselves. Everybody, no, we're not going to be friends with them. No, we're not going to do this. No, we're going we're gonna to huddle together and we're only going to come together. We're going to be bold at church, but then out there, we're just going to play our cards Really, really strategically. And we protect and we protect and we protect. And, and I feel we get this idea that hell is attacking us from all sides and that we're holding the doors. And I want us to change that mindset. Can you shift your mindset? And if, if, if I read the Bible correctly, I believe God has more power than anyone or anything or any government or any policy or anything that will come against us. Everything that will come against you, God is more powerful than all of that. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that fear can be destroyed in your life? Do you believe that? I believe that. God knows it, but he wants you to act like it. Are you willing to step out in faith, in courage? And do things that nobody else is doing. And I understand that this is a huge risk. I, I get that. If, if God has, has prompted you that you need to stop drinking so much, but your closest friends are your drinking buddies or gals, and you stop drinking or you minimize your drinking, What you're worried about is you're worried about what happens to your friends because your entire basis for your friendship is based on drinking. And you're worried about losing those friendships. Well, let me just say, can I just, uh, this is going to come across harsh and I'm sorry. If your friends are not going to be friends with you because you're no longer drinking, I'm not sure how good a deep the friends they are. I'm just saying. But I understand the fear because I don't know about you, but I I love people. I I tend to please people too much. And so my fear is sometimes that I'm going to lose a relationship. I, I, I live with that fear all the time. So when I say these things, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else. Are you willing to live in such a way that God 
says that you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to be discouraged. I am with you, he says. You know, Craig Rochelle, um, he says people change in two ways. He says people change when they want to and people change when they have to. People change when they want to and people change when they have to. I can eat cookies all day long, every day. And I'm not going to change that until what? Until my health tells me I have to. I can treat people however I want for as long as I want. I can, I can treat people however I want. I can do whatever I want to them. doesn't matter until the relationship is done and they want nothing to do with me and then I have to change. I can wait to get serious about my faith. I'll wait till next month to get X, Y, Z, you know, do that, to get serious about that. But then something happens in your life where you need that foundation of faith and you realize it's not as strong as I needed it to be. And now you have to change. See, fear keeps us from doing the things that we know we should do today, but we put it off. We put it off. We put it off. If I was going to be very, very transparent with you, you could ask the people closest to me and they would say that this is accurate. The things that I don't like to do and the things that I'm scared of, I tend to procrastinate. I put them off all the time. I just, I just do. There are some things I'm very strong in, I'm good in, I have no problems with, but there are other things in my life that I struggle with and I put those things off and I don't deal with those things and it's fear. I know it's fear that holds me back. So let me ask you this question. Will you face whatever fear you have? Will you face it? Will you step up to it? Think of my two good friends who put their hand on my chest, shoved me backwards and stepped in front and says, we got this. Don't think of cowering from hell's enemies. Instead, trying to barricade the door. Instead, think of yourself as attacking hell's gates with Jesus and all of his power at your back. It's different. It's a different mentality. So I will leave you with this thought. God's command for you. I'll leave you with his words. What he told Joshua is what he wants for you. It's not a suggestion. It's a command to live this out. Hear this today. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous.
do not fear. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, one of the hardest things for for me, and I think for a lot of people, is to admit when we're scared. We don't we don't like to admit that we're scared of losing someone, of losing something. We don't want to admit that we are scared about how people view us. We, we don't like to admit that. It doesn't feel good. But today, if nothing else, I pray that you would help all of us to realize how powerful fear is in our life and how it keeps us from being closer to you, from following you, to to doing everything that you've called us to do and to be. There are so many people represented here in this room and online here right now. And and in each and every person, there are certain fears that are holding them back from doing something, from saying something, from taking action on something, to being something that they know for a long time they've needed to, to do, or they've needed to become. But fear of what they're going to lose, fear of how their spouse is going to react, fear of what people will say, fear of losing what they have is, is just keeping them from doing any change at all, from shifting anything around. And so God, today I pray that you would help us to be strong and courageous, that you would help us to fear not because you are with us. Remind us today that we are not slaves to fear. Fear does not control us unless we let it. We are no longer bound by fear because you are with us. God, thank you for calling us to greater, to better because you love us. We pray and ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.